0: This is part 7 of the book by Rudolf Steiner entitled Anthroposophical Guidelines, also translated as Anthroposophical Leading Thoughts. I'm on page 49 of the ebook. First Contemplation How Michael prepares his earthly mission in the spiritual world by conquering Lucifer at the gates of the consciousness soul. Michael's intervention in the evolution of the world and man during the end of the nineteenth century appears in a special light when one considers the spiritual history of the previous centuries. The beginning of the fifteenth century is the age in which the consciousness-soul epoch began. Before this time a complete change is evident In human spiritual life, one can follow how previously, everywhere, imaginations still played a significant role in human perceptions. Individual personalities had, however, already found their way to mere mental comprehension, but the great majority lived absorbing imaginations involving representations, mental pictures derived exclusively from the physical world. It was so in respect to ideas about natural events as well as historical developments. What spiritual observation finds is completely confirmed by external evidence. We will now indicate some of these. Uh, excuse me let me read that again what spiritual observation finds is completely confirmed by external evidences we will now indicate some of these what was thought and said about historical events in the previous centuries was often recorded just before the dawn of the consciousness soul age thus we still have the quote, "sagas" close quote and similar writings preserved which give a true picture of what was then considered to be history. A beautiful example is the story of Gerhard the Good, which is preserved in a poem by Rudolf von Ems, who lived in the first half of the 13th century. Gerhard the Good is a rich merchant in Köln. He goes on a business trip to Russia, Livonia and Prussia to buy sable, Then he travels to Damascus and Nineveh for silk and similar things. Homeward bound, he is thrown off course by a storm. In the strange land where he finds himself, he comes to know a man who holds captive some English knights and the English king's betrothed. Gerhart gives up all he has gained on the trip in return for the captives, He takes them with him on his ship and begins the journey home. When the ship comes to the place where the routes to Gerhardt's home and England separate, he lets the male prisoners leave for England, but he keeps the king's betrothed with him in the hope that King William will come to get her as soon as he learns of her liberation and where she is. The king's bride and the maidens who accompany her are kept in the very best accommodations. She lives in her liberator's house like a well-loved daughter. A long time passes without the English king coming to get her, so Gerhardt decides to marry her to his son in order to ensure her future, for he thinks that William could be dead. The marriage feast is already in progress when an unknown pilgrim appears, William. He had wandered a long time on false paths seeking his betrothed. She is returned to him after Gerhard's son's selfless renunciation. They remain with Gerhard a while, who then equips a ship to take them back to England. Once the ex-prisoners have been restored to their proper honorable station and Gerhard visits England, the English want to make him king, but he objects that he had delivered their rightful royal pair to them. They had also thought William dead and wanted to elect another king for the country in which conditions had become chaotic during William's wanderings. The merchant of Cologne rejects all the honors and riches offered to him and returns to Cologne in order to be the simple merchant he was before. The story is enhanced so that the Saxon emperor Otto I travels to Köln in order to become in order to meet Gerhard the good, for the powerful emperor was tempted to consider much of what he has done to be worthy of earthly compensation. In, in coming to know Gerhard, however, he encounters a palpable example of how a simple man does inexpressible good, giving up all the goods he has acquired to free the prisoners, returning the son's bride to William then doing everything he can to bring the king back to England, and so forth, without desiring any earthly compensation, but relying entirely on the expectation of compensation from the gods. The man is called Gerhard the Good by all. The emperor feels that he has received a powerful and religious moral impulse through acquaintance with Gerhard's convictions. The story, which I have outlined here, in order not to merely mention by name something less known, clearly shows one aspect of the mentality of the age preceding the birth of the consciousness soul in human evolution. Whoever feels the spirit of this story, as related by Rudolf von Ems, can also sense how experience of the earthly world has changed since when Emperor Otto lived. In the 10th century, one sees how, in the consciousness soul age, the world has become, in a certain sense, quote unquote, clear to the human mind, as far as understanding physical being and becoming, physical being and becoming, is concerned. Gerhardt navigates with his ship in a virtual fog. He only knows a small piece of the world with which he wants to come into contact. In Köln one has no knowledge of what is happening in England, and it takes years to find a man who lives in Köln. One comes to know the life and property of a man such as the one Gerhard encountered on his trip home only when he is directly brought by destiny to the corresponding location. Comparing the conditions of today with those times is like viewing the world in a wide, sun-filled landscape on one hand and groping in dense fog on the other. What is considered historical today has nothing to do with the story of Gerhard the Good, although the latter has much to do with the mood and spiritual conditions of that age. These and not specific physical events are portrayed in imaginations. In this portrayal is shown how man does not only feel himself to be a being who lives and acts as a link in the physical chain of events, but also how in his physical existence spiritual, supersensible beings intercede and accompany his will. The story of Gerhard the Good shows how man's view of the physical world. Through a glass darkly, which preceded the consciousness soul age, oriented his gaze toward the spiritual world. One did not see in the distance of the physical world, but one saw that much deeper, but one saw that much deeper into the spiritual one. But although a dim dreamlike clairvoyance once showed humanity the spiritual world, It was no longer the case in that age. The imaginations were there, but they appeared in minds already strongly tending toward the theoretical. The effect was that one no longer knew how the world which manifested itself in imaginations was related to physical existence. Therefore the imaginations now appeared to more intellectual types who considered them to be arbitrary fictions devoid of reality. It was no longer realized that through imaginations one saw a world in which one stands with a completely different part of his humanity than the physical one. Thus in this story both worlds stand side by side, and due to the way it is told both worlds are characterized as if the spiritual events could have been as perceptible as the physical ones. Furthermore, in many such stories, physical events were jumbled together. Persons who lived centuries apart appear as contemporaries. Events are displaced to incorrect places or at incorrect times. Facts of the physical world are described in a way only appropriate for the spiritual world for which time and space have a different meaning. The physical world is described in imaginations instead of thoughts. Therewith the spiritual world is interwoven into the story, as though it did not relate to a different state of being, but to a continuation of physical facts. Sticking to only the physical version of history, One thinks that the old imaginations of the East, Greece and so forth, had been adopted and then poetically interwoven with the physical things which people occupied themselves with at that time. They had, after all, in Isidore de Sevilla's writings from the 7th century, a proper collection of old saga motifs. But This is an external way of understanding. It is only meaningful to those who have no idea of a human mentality which knows that its existence is still directly bound to the spiritual world, and feels compelled to express this knowledge in imaginations. If, instead of one's own imagination, an historically documented one is used, is not the essential point. This is because the soul is oriented toward the spiritual world, so that it sees both its own acts and natural events integrated in that world. Nevertheless, confusion may be noted in storytelling at the time before the dawn of the consciousness-soul age. Spiritual observation sees the work of luciferic forces in this confusion. What impelled the soul to assimilate imaginations into the content of its experiences corresponded less to the capacities which it possessed in antiquity, through dreamlike clairvoyance, than to those that existed in the 8th to 14th century. These capacities impelled more to a thoughtful understanding of sense perceptions. Both capacities were present during the transitional stage. The soul was placed between the old orientation, which was absorbed in the spiritual world, together with the physical one which saw things as in a fog, and the new one, which was absorbed in physical events and in which spiritual perceptions faded away. Luciferic forces intruded in this oscillating equilibrium of the human soul. They wished to hinder man's finding full orientation in the physical world. They wished to keep his consciousness in the spiritual regions which were appropriate in older times. They wished to prevent pure thinking from entering into his dreamlike imaginative world vision. They may have been able to prevent his ability to perceive the physical world correctly. They could not, however, correctly sustain the experience of the old imaginations. So they let him muse on old imaginations without being able to mindfully make the transition into the world in which imaginations are fully valid. At the dawn of the consciousness-soul age, Lucifer acted so that through him man was transposed to the supersensible region, which was at first bordering on the physical one, in a way which was inappropriate. This can be clearly seen in the saga of Herzog Ernst, or Herzog-Duke Ernst, which was one of the most popular tales during the Middle Ages and was told everywhere. Herzog Ernst comes into conflict with the Emperor, who unjustly wants to ruin him by means of war. In order to avoid this impossible situation, he takes part in the crusade to the Orient. In the adventures which he experiences on the journey to his goal, the physical is interwoven with the spiritual, saga like in the already mentioned manner. For example, On the way, the duke encounters a people whose heads are shaped like cranes. He is shipwrecked on the Magnet Mountain, a ship being attracted by its magnetic power, so the people who come close to the mountain can never get away and die a wretched death. Herzog Ernst and his people escape by sewing themselves into skins, then letting themselves be carried to another mountain by griffins, which are accustomed to scavenge for people wrecked on the Magnet Mountain. They then cut themselves out of the skins when the griffins aren't around and escape. Then their journey takes them to a land of people whose ears are so long that they can cover their entire bodies with them like clothing, to another people whose feet are so large that they can lie on their backs when it rains and use them as umbrellas. They come to a country of dwarfs, of giants, and so on. Such things were told about Herzog Ernst's crusade journey. Sagas do not allow a correct feeling of how, wherever imaginations enter the scene, an orientation toward the spiritual world occurs, where things are described through pictures which take place in the astral world and relate to human will and destiny. And it is also the case with the beautiful Roland Saga in which Charlemagne's great march against the heathen in Spain is glamorized, to the extent that in order for Charlemagne to attain his goal, the sun's course is delayed, so that one day becomes as long as two, therewith evoking the Bible. (coughs) And in the Nibelungen saga, one sees how the forms were retained in the northern lands, so that spiritual perception was purer, whereas in Central Europe the imaginations were brought closer to physical life. In the northern form, the story is expressed in a way that relates to an astral world. In the Central European form, the Nibelungen song tends toward a view of the physical world. Also the imaginations in the Herzog Ernst saga relate, in reality, to what is experienced between the happenings in the physical sphere, experienced in an astral world to which man belongs as well as he does to the physical one. Observing all this with spiritual vision, one sees how entering into the consciousness soul age entails emerging from an evolutionary phase in which the luciferic forces would have prevailed over humanity If the consciousness soul, with its strength of intellectuality, had not introduced a new evolutionary impulse in humanity, the orientation toward the spiritual world along the path of aberration is avoided through the consciousness soul. The vision of humanity is withdrawn and guided toward the physical world. Everything that happens in this direction shields humanity from the aberrations of the Luciferic forces. From the spiritual world, Michael is already actively present for humanity. From the supersensible regions, he prepares his later work. He gives humanity impulses which retain the previous relation to the divine spiritual world, Without this retention taking on a luciferic character. For in the last third of the nineteenth century, Michael pressed forward in the physical world itself with the activity that he had prepared in supersensible regions from the fifteenth up until the nineteenth centuries. Humanity had to undergo for a while a spiritual development freeing it from that relationship with the spiritual world which threatened to become an impossible one. Thereupon this development was guided through the Michael mission along paths which brought the progress of earthly humanity back to a relationship with the spiritual world which is beneficial to it. Thus in his activity Michael stands between the Luciferic worldview and the Aramanic world intelligence. With Michael, this worldview becomes a wisdom filled world revelation, which reveals world intelligence as divine world action. In this world action lives Christ's wish for humanity that Michael's world revelation may be unveiled to the human heart. Further Guidelines with reference to the previous first contemplation about Michael's supersensible preparations for his Earth mission. Number 124. The dawn of the age of consciousness, 15th century, in the twilight of the comprehension or Sensitivity Soul Age was preceded by intense Luciferic activity, which still continues for a time in the New Epoch. I think that uh, comprehension or sensitivity Soul Age, we would also call that the intellectual Soul Age, since this is not the consciousness Soul Age. Okay. Right. I guess. uh, uh, aside by the translator the italicized words have almost always been translated as intellectual or mind soul age i believe this is a mistranslation and have therefore used the more accurate comprehension or sensitivity soul age or wherever it appears translator <clears throat> number 125 the intent of this luciferic activity is to wrongfully Retain the old forms of image thinking of the world, and thus prevent man from understanding and integrating himself into its physical nature. Number 126. Michael associates with human activity in order that independent intellectuality remain correctly connected to the divine spirituality from which it descended. Second contemplation how the Michael forces functioned during the first unfolding of the consciousness soul. At the time of the dawn of the consciousness soul in man's earthly evolution it was difficult for the beings from the spiritual region closest to the earth to approach humanity. Earthly events acquired a form which showed that relations of a very special kind were necessary for spirituality to make its way into the physical life of man. But on the other hand, that form also shows, in an often most clarifying manner, how, where spiritual powers of the past are still active and the powers of the future already begin to be active, one spiritual entity energetically seeks its way into humanity's earthly life in opposition to the other. Between 1339 and 1453, France and England were engaged in a senseless war for over a hundred years. These spiritually chaotic events, unfavorable for human development, were responsible for delaying the introduction of the consciousness soul, which would have appeared sooner had those events not occurred. Chaucer, who died in 1400, laid the foundation for English literature. One needs only to consider the spiritual consequences for Europe of this foundation, and one will find it meaningful that it could not develop freely, but succumbed to the confusion of war. Furthermore, already earlier, 1215, the political thinking characteristic of the consciousness soul had begun to take shape in England. The further development of this event was also hindered by the chaos of war. This was a time when the spiritual forces, wanting man to develop as he had been disposed from the beginning by the divine spiritual forces above them met their adversaries. These adversaries wished to detour man onto roads other than those meant for him from the beginning. He would then not be able to use the forces of his origin for his subsequent evolution. His cosmic childhood would thus remain unfruitful. It would be like a fading part of his being the result would be that man could become prey to the luciferic or aramonic powers and his individual development would fall short. If the efforts of these anti-human adversarial powers had been completely successful instead of merely being a hindering factor, the introduction of the consciousness soul could have been completely prevented. An event which illustrates especially well the streaming of spirituality into earthly events was the emergence and destiny of Joan of Arc, the Maid of Orleans, 1412-1431. to 1431. What she did came from the deepest subconscious fount of her soul. She followed the faint inspirations of the spiritual world. Chaos reigned on earth, through which the consciousness-soul age was to be hindered. Michael had to prepare his future mission from the spiritual world. He was only able to do so when his impulses were received by human souls. The Maid of Orleans had such a soul. He also acted through many other souls, even when it was only possible in a moderate way and is less apparent to official history. He met his Aramonic adversary in such events as the war between England and France. The Luciferic adversary he met in those times was spoken of in the previous contemplation. But the events show that that adversary was also especially active in the time following the Maid of Orleans' appearance, One sees in those events that humanity was unable to contend with the intervention of the spirit world in human affairs, which was understood and could also be integrated into the will at a time when imaginative understanding was still present. Contention with such intervention became impossible with the end of the comprehension or sensitivity soul era, the intellectual soul era. The attitude corresponding to the consciousness soul had not yet been found at that time. It has not yet been accomplished even today. What happened was that Europe's formation was arranged from the spiritual world. Without man realizing what was happening, and without his efforts having a meaningful influence. To appreciate the meaning of those events which were realized from the spirit world, one needs only to imagine what would have happened in the fifteenth century if there had been no maid of Orleans. There are also people who try to explain such occurrences materialistically. Making them understand is impossible because they arbitrarily give a materialistic meaning to what is obviously spiritual. This clearly shows that humanity's striving to find the path to divine spirituality was no longer without difficulties, even when it was intensely, intensively sought. Such difficulties did not exist in the age when insight could be obtained by means of imaginations. In order to correctly judge what is meant, it is only necessary to clearly observe the persons who had emerged as philosophers. A philosopher cannot be judged only by his effect on his times, nor how many people have taken up his ideas. He is much more the expression, the personification of his times. What the majority of people already experience as unconscious feelings and motives are introduced by the philosopher with his ideas. He indicates the mentality of his times as a thermometer indicates the temperature of its surroundings. Philosophers are as little the cause of the mentality of their times as the thermometer is of the temperature of its surroundings. In this respect, consider the philosopher Rene Descartes (1596 to 1650), who was active when the consciousness-soul age was already in progress. The thin thread of his connection with the spirit world, true being, was his experience of quote, "I think, therefore I am." Close quote. In the center of the consciousness-soul, the I, he tried to experience reality and only to the extent of what the consciousness soul could tell him. And he sought clarity about the rest of spirituality by intellectually investigating how much guarantee the certainty of his own self-awareness provided for the certainty of other things. He asked everywhere about the truths which had been handed down historically, are they as clear as, I think therefore I am, close quote? If he can affirm this, he accepts them. Doesn't this kind of thinking, directed toward the things of the world, ignore the spirit? This spirit's revelation had restricted itself to the thinnest thread in self-awareness. Everything else showed itself to be directly revealed without spiritual revelation. What lies beyond self-awareness can only indirectly throw a flicker of light of this spiritual revelation into the consciousness soul through the intellect. The person of that time lets his still relatively empty of content consciousness soul strive with intense desire toward the spiritual world. A thin stream gets there. The beings of the spirit world directly bordering on the earth and the human souls on earth came together with difficulty. Michael's supersensible preparations for his later mission were experienced by human souls only with the greatest inhibitions. We may compare, in order to understand the different mentalities, the ideas expressed by Descartes and Augustine, the latter possessing the same slim foundation for experiencing the spiritual world as Descartes, at least in respect to his formulations. Except that in Augustine's case it derived from the full imaginative force of the comprehensive or sensitivity or intellectual soul. He lived from 354 to 430. Augustine and Descartes are considered to be related and correctly so. However, Augustine's intellect was still a vestige of the cosmos, whereas Descartes' intellect had been absorbed into the individual human soul. One can see from the process of spiritual striving from Augustine to Descartes how the cosmic character of thinking power is lost, and then appears again in the human soul. At the same time, one can also see how Michael and human minds come together under different conditions, so that Michael can guide them, as he once did in the cosmos. The Luciferic and Aramonic forces are at work to obstruct this coordination. The Luciferic forces want man to develop only what was appropriate to his cosmic infancy, the Aramonic ones, in opposition but simultaneously collaborating, would like to see only the forces to be developed during a later epoch flourish and let the cosmic infancy fade out. Against such increasing opposition, the human souls of Europe processed the spiritual impulses of the old worldview ideas streaming from the East to the West through the Crusades. The Mikael forces lived strongly in those ideas. Cosmic intelligence, the direction of which was Michael's ancient spiritual heritage, dominated these worldviews. How could they be absorbed when a chasm existed between the forces of the spirit world and human souls? they entered into the slowly evolving consciousness soul. On one side, they encountered the obstacle which still existed in the weakly developed consciousness soul, which lamed them. On the other side, they no longer possessed an imaginative consciousness. Human souls could no longer connect to them with insight. They were received either superficially or superstitiously. Names such as Wycliffe, Huss and others on one hand and the term Rosicrucian on the other should be understood with this mentality in mind. We will speak of this further, given on the Gurtianum, November 30th, 1924. Guideline number 127 At the beginning of the consciousness-soul age, Human souls had still only developed their intellectual forces to a limited degree. There was a lack of coherence between what these souls desired in the depths of their unconscious and what forces from the region where Michael was could give them. Number 128. In this lack of coherence, a spiritual opportunity existed for the luciferic powers to hold back humanity at its cosmic childhood and not permitted to develop further on the divine spiritual paths with which it was united from the beginning, but on luciferic ones, number one hundred and twenty nine furthermore, the spiritual opportunity existed for the Aramonic powers to completely disconnect humanity from its cosmic childhood and thus absorb it into their own realm in future evolution. Number 130. Neither of these things happened because the Michael forces were active, but human spiritual development had to take place under the hindrances caused by these opportunities and became what it is now because of them Okay, this is the end of section 8 which will continue with in fact what is called the continuation of the second contemplation hindrance and furtherance of the Michael forces at the dawn of the consciousness soul age uh, from page 58 of the e-book which will be uh, continued then on on part nine the end of part eight